my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict Ironjaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. That that way. Way. Blank is the killer. Hello and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast where I, your psycho elf on a shelf, Josh Baker, cover six new-to-me horror movies with a random spooky topic seven at the end. This snow-covered episode includes Frosty Killers, Vengeful Samurai, and Exploding Teens. Come join me in the tropics where there's definitely a 0% chance of a killer snowman murdering us while I blabber about horror movies. Number 1, Happy Halloween, Scooby-Doo 2020, directed by Maxwell Adams. The Scooby Gang stops the Scarecrow from ruining a Halloween parade. Pumpkins come in contact with a mixture of the Scarecrow's fear formula and toxic waste. The pumpkins come to life and start attacking people. Anyone eaten by the pumpkins becomes one. Velma figures out that the pumpkins are actually drones that are being controlled from a command center hidden in the biggest pumpkin. The sheriff, who reveals himself to be a guy the gang foiled years ago, is behind everything. No one is the killer. It's December. You know what that means. Time to watch a Halloween movie I've been putting off. I'm a big fan of Scooby-Doo. I grew up watching the show Werewolf's Curse, Ghoul School, Zombie Island, Witch's Ghost, and the live-action movies. Nostalgia and sheer goofiness of the live-action movies is what makes me enjoy those. Everything else is legit, though, I think. I'm going to have to revisit a lot of past Scooby-Doo media. There is no way that the old animated movies are as dumb as Happy Halloween Scooby-Doo. There's no love in it. It's not even the worst Scooby-Doo thing I've seen recently. It's better than Scoob. To be fair, it isn't much better. The gang has gone up against a lot of different villains. But why are they dealing with the Scarecrow? You know, the Batman villain. What's next, the gang versus the Joker? I'm not saying I wouldn't watch Mystery Inc. versus iconic comic book villains. That could be neat if done correctly. Unlike in Scoob, Matthew Lillard is back as Shaggy. I like him as Shaggy. Will Forte was trash. I don't know why people that have been voicing the characters for years weren't considered for Scoob. Happy Halloween, Scooby-Doo has two big guest stars. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, is the first one. I like Elvira. She does her classic shtick. My one issue with her appearance is her likeness. This cartoon Elvira does not look like Elvira. I feel like Scooby-Doo has a good history of cartoonizing famous people, so I don't know what happened here. The other guest star, Bill Nye, looks fine. I grew up with Bill Nye, and seeing him in a 2020 Scooby-Doo movie as much more of a main character than Elvira just made me ask, Bill, why? In the movie, he's more of a tech genius than a science guy. I didn't hate him being in the movie or anything. It just felt out of place. H.H. Scooby is trying its best to appeal to a younger generation, so it doesn't make a 
ton of sense that Elvira, Bill Nye, and references to Spaceballs and other decades-old media are included. The Rugrats aren't going to understand any of it, and the people my age are going to find a lot of the references forced. It's been a long time since I partook in Scooby-Doo media, but what happened to the gang? Is Daphne okay? She constantly blurts out garbage and doesn't seem all there. Loving traps and the mystery machine is Fred's whole character. Velma's the leader now. Well, that makes sense. Velma was always the most competent and intelligent character. Shaggy and Scooby are the same lovable goofballs. I don't know how long Scooby is going to live if he keeps eating chocolate, though. In H.H. Scooby alone, he eats two very large chocolate bars. I know Great Danes aren't even supposed to live that long, and it's a cartoon for children. Wait, maybe don't show dogs eating chocolate in your cartoon for children. Timmy, chocolate's poison for snuffles. There was one solid joke where the fake sheriff said he had to buy $1 million worth of glow sticks to break and pour into a tank to make it look like it was leaking toxic waste. Absurdity always gets me. Drones have been used to handwave plot holes. Mysterio used them in the Spider-Man movie. I can kind of get behind the drones in that doing what they do, but there's no way that the drones in Happy Halloween, Scooby-Doo, were able to do everything shown. The pumpkins don't only fly around, they're able to grab things and even drive cars with their vines. You can't just say they can do all of that because drones. Happy Halloween, Scooby-Doo is a disappointing time. Watch older media instead. I've heard good things about the more modern Mystery Inc. series. I'll check that out soon. Number 2, Jack Frost, 1997, directed by Michael Cooney. A sheriff named Sam happens to arrest a notorious serial killer named Jack Frost. Jack causes a crash on his way to be executed. A truck carrying an experimental formula flips and covers Jack in the contents. Jack Frost turns into a snowman and continues his murderous rampage. Sam, with the help of his son Ryan, realizes Jack's weakness is antifreeze. A trap is set. Jack is submerged in antifreeze. He's then siphoned into containers and buried. One of the containers starts to bubble. Jack Frost is the killer. Somehow I've never seen Jack Frost until now. I remember going to Blockbuster as a youngster and being very confused that there were two Jack Frost movies. I still don't understand how that's possible. Maybe the horror movie didn't make much of a splash and someone else just happened to want to do a similar movie with the same title. Both movies have a character named Jack Frost that turns into a terrifying living snowman after a car accident. I have never seen the Michael Keaton version in its entirety, but recall seeing random scenes growing up. From here on out, I'll only be referring to the horror movie Jack Frost. Jack Frost surprised me. It's a jolly good time. Ugh. I don't know why I said that. I guess I wanted to make this episode more festive. What I meant to say is Jack Frost is a surprisingly fun movie. It has delightful practical effects. Sure, none of the effects really sell or even make a lot of sense. Looking at you, Icicle Kill. How did that ice spike end up going through the door at that angle? And why was it wiggling? Jack Frost has one of the best kills of all time. Jack begins strangling a woman with Christmas lights. He then shoves an ornament in her mouth before continuously dunking her face into a box containing more ornaments that shatter. Shards lodge into her face. It's hilarious. The multiple face slams into the broken ornaments really ups the comedy. It's such an absurd and festive way to die. 
There are other goofy and entertaining kills, like a kid being decapitated by a sled, and when Jack traps Shannon Elizabeth's character inside his snow body and bashes her head against a wall. The slams are accompanied by a repetitive, ill-fitting thud sound effect that make a disturbing concept hilarious. Jack Frost is littered with some of the most recognizable stock sounds. My favorite by far is the door opening sound. Once it's pointed out to you, you'll hear it everywhere. If you want to know which one I'm talking about, watch any Red Letter Media Half in the Bag episode that's set at Mr. Plankett's house. They use it for his door. I love that stock sound. Funnily enough, there's no real snow in Jack Frost. All of the snow is foam and cotton. Well, except the shaved ice that was used in some scenes. All of the acting is hammy and bad, but the worst of the bunch is definitely Christopher Alport who plays Sam. He's devoid of any emotion. It's like he was doing a Ben Stein impression the entire movie. Scott McDonald brings the right amount of ham and cheese as Jack Frost. He's a great homicidal maniac. It's very possible that Jack Frost ended an entire bloodline. He kills a couple and their kids. If the parents were both only children, it's highly likely that that was the end of the Metzner line. There was almost another killer besides Jack Frost. None other than Sheriff Sam's son Ryan almost ended up on the list. Ryan kept making weird food concoctions. He made his dad some oatmeal. Luckily for Sam, he doesn't eat any of it, and it instead ends up on Jack Frost. Turns out there was antifreeze in it, so the oatmeal wounds the snowman. When Sam asks Ryan why a killer snowman was injured by oatmeal, Ryan sheepishly reveals that he put antifreeze in it. When Ryan reveals this, it's obvious that he knew he shouldn't have been putting antifreeze in food. Ryan straight up tried to poison his dad. I get it, Ryan. Your dad is the absolute worst. How bad is Sam? There's a part where Sam and some others are filling the police station with aerosol. They rig cans of bug spray and other things to release their contents so they can blow up the police station and hopefully kill Jack. After placing cans along a hallway, the group ends up at a window. It's locked and Sam forgot the keys at the other end of the hallway. Instead of holding his breath and sprinting to get the keys, Sam gingerly saunters over to the keys like a snail trying to put the moves on a slug. Everyone's breathing in all these toxic fumes trying to escape a killer snowman as Sam takes a leisurely stroll. Maybe he'll get what's coming to him in the sequel. Jack Frost is a fantastic horror movie for the holidays. It's plain old fun. Number 3, Jack Frost 2, Revenge of the Mutant Killer Snowman, 2000, directed by Michael Cooney. Sam is suffering from a lot of PTSD brought on by his run-ins with Jack Frost. Sam and his wife go with another couple to the tropics for the holidays to avoid snow. Antifreeze formed Jack is dug up and experimented on, which brings him back to life. Jack Frost starts killing people in the tropics. Sam tries to defeat Jack with antifreeze again, only to find out it no longer works. Some of Sam's blood fused with Jack during the tussle at the end of the last movie. Jack creates a bunch of tiny evil snowballs. The snowballs are killed with bananas. Sam is allergic to them. Sam defeats Jack by shooting him with an arrow with a banana tied to it. Jack Frost is the killer. I had so much fun watching the original Jack Frost that I thought, what the hey, might as well pop in the next one. I didn't actually buy it on VHS and put it in a VCR though, I digitally rented it. Dang, my brain is reminding me about how much fun it was to go rent a VHS tape, make a big bowl of popcorn, and pop it into the VCR. 
the VHS tape, not the popcorn. Now there are so many fresh things to watch directly at my fingertips that a lot of the time I don't even end up watching anything new. Anyways, Jack Frost 2 is a stupid fun time just like the first one. For the first third of the movie at least. Jack's back. Don't worry about why or how. Jack follows Sam to the tropics. Again, no questions. Wait. Jack is talking while he's just the carrot nose? I thought Jack was just the snow. Don't think about it. If you start to think about the logistics of Jack Frost in this sequel, you're only going to be confused. Besides Jack having all new unexplainable abilities, Jack Frost 2 has some other changes. Manners, an FBI agent from the first movie that I didn't even bring up, returns in the sequel portrayed by a completely different, much funnier actor. One of the ladies in the movie even calls this out by saying he's more handsome this time. Another change is the overall look of the movie. Jack Frost 2 looks way less cinematic than the original, which didn't look amazing to begin with. The last big change is the complete removal of kids from the movie. You don't see Sam's son or any other little youngsters. Speaking of Sam, how is it that Manners was recast but Christopher Alport was brought back? He's bad in this movie like he was in the first one. Sam's wife was also recast, but she didn't really do all that much in the original. His wife has a much bigger role in 2. The problem with Jack Frost 2 is that too many ideas are packed into it. Jack killing bikini babes in the tropics is a fun time. When he's doing that, the movie works. In a matter of minutes, Jack turns into a snow anvil to crush a girl, raises ice spikes from the ground to impale another, and gouges out the eyes of the last girl in that trio with your average everyday kitchen tongs. All three of these kills are creative, practically done, and well executed. This is what the movie needed to be full of. When Jack Frost disappears for 40 minutes as tiny flesh-eating snowballs he spawns start killing people, it's boring. Oh look, the little snowballs are... Biting someone again. This isn't exciting. Where did all the extras go? I guess they didn't have a big enough budget to have them around the whole movie. I already touched on the sequel's acting a tad, but I have to bring up Colonel Hickering. The Colonel is an amazing character who just happens to be portrayed by the director's dad. That's right, Ray Cooney is Michael Cooney's pops. Ray brought an amazing energy to the movie. Scott McDonald came back to voice Jack. He's great. The rubber Jack Frost puppet looks worse this time around. I'm not even sure how that's possible. It must be the same rubber snowman from the first movie. No one even tried to sync up McDonald's quips with the movements of the puppet's mouth like they did in the first movie. Jack Frost 2 is a fantastically goofy time until it's not. I advise that you skip this one given the complete halt and fun halfway through. Number 4, Bloodbeat, 1982, directed by Fabrici Angi Zafferatos. Sarah goes to her boyfriend Ted's home for the first time during the holidays. Ted's sister Dolly also goes with them. Kathy, Ted's mom, gets a bad vibe from Sarah. Kathy's boyfriend Gary, Ted, Dolly, their uncle, and Sarah go hunting. Sarah stops them from killing a deer, runs off, and comes into contact with a dying man. The man dies in her arms. Sarah has a vision of a box containing samurai armor and weapons. She cuts herself on a sword. A samurai spirit kills a bunch of people. Sarah is acting strange and is shown using both pyrokinesis and telekinesis. Sarah ends up becoming the samurai. Kathy uses her own psychic powers to try and defeat Sarah, but Sarah kills both her and Gary. Dolly and Ted's psychic powers are revealed. The brother and sister defeat Samurai Sarah. 
An evil samurai spirit that possesses Sarah is the killer. I think Kathy seems to recognize the samurai. It seems they had some sort of agreement, but it's impossible to make sense of what Kathy says to the samurai. My understanding is that Kathy faced the samurai in battle during World War II. She defeated the samurai who cursed her with his dying breath. He said something along the lines of, May your son ever bring home a girlfriend. She will be possessed by my eternal soul. I will then have my revenge. Sarah comes home for Christmas being bang boom. She's possessed by the evil samurai spirit that decides to kill random people that didn't even participate in the Second World War. I doubt any of that nonsense I just spewed is correct, but... Bloodbeat is very open to interpretation, seeing as 50% of Kathy's dialogue is intelligible. At one point, she attempts to provide an important nugget of exposition that'll clear up some stuff, but unfortunately, she wasn't mic'd correctly that day, and none of what she was saying shows up when the subtitles are on. When I read the Google synopsis for Bloodbeat, I was excited. Here it is. A woman travels to rural Wisconsin to meet her boyfriend's family, but her body becomes possessed by a spirit of a Japanese samurai warrior who goes on a killing spree. That sounds incredible. An 80s slasher starring the evil spirit of a samurai? That has to be a campy, fantastic mess. Turns out Bloodbeat is a lot more artsy than your average Halloween 80s slasher ripoff. Sure, there are multiple scenes from the samurai's point of view that are accompanied by heavy breathing where the samurai blandly stabs and slashes some people to death. Those sequences scream Halloween ripoff. I don't remember Halloween including psychic battles and out-of-place psychedelic visual effects and color changes. Bloodbeat has all of that and more. One of the strangest things Bloodbeat includes is a never-changing score. It'll jump from a synthy banger to depressing classical music to intense religious chanting. The score is all over the place. It's fascinating. Would it have been better if Bloodbeat stuck to the Make Your Body Groove synth tracks? Maybe, but the whiplash of the score is one of the interesting aspects of the movie. For the most part, the acting seems oddly genuine. Until the samurai drops by Kathy's house, Bloodbeat comes off as a weird slice-of-life movie. Pet kudos. There are multiple pets in the movie, and they all survive. It does include an actual dead deer, though. Dolly and Ted play a two-player game of Monopoly. That's not integral to the plot or anything. I only bring it up because two-player Monopoly has to be the absolute worst. Zephyrados, the director, was allegedly on drugs during some of the writing and filming, and didn't realize that the movie was being shot in 4.3 until weeks into production. Someone should have told Vladimir Mall, the director of photography, that Bloodbeat wasn't being shot for TV. There are a lot of captivating close-ups in the movie. There are a lot of silly close-ups. Bloodbeat is a strange beast. It has an artistic flavor that's present throughout and oddly compelling. The plot is a convoluted mess that never ends up making any sense. Is it worth watching? If you asked me during certain parts of my viewing, I would have given you a definite no. Now that I've had a little time to soak in the entire experience, I recommend it solely due to how bizarre it is. Number 5, Spontaneous, 2020, directed by Brian Dufield. 
Mara is a normal high school girl until one of her classmates spontaneously explodes into a bloody mess. The explosion compels Mara's classmate Dylan to confess his feelings for her. They begin dating as classmates continue to explode. The class is quarantined and tested on. A cure is found. Things go back to normal for a short time before many more kids explode, including Dylan. A devastated Mara turns to alcohol to numb her fear and pain. Mara is finally able to open up and move on after having a discussion with Dylan's mom at his grave. Nobody has exploded in months. The government thinks their new cure works, but it's possible the explosions just stopped. Mara heads off to college. Spontaneous human explosions are the killers. I originally had it as spontaneous human combustion, but there wasn't any fire. Maybe fire isn't always present in SHC, but I don't feel like diving down that rabbit hole right now. Spontaneous is a genuinely funny movie about young love and dead kids. Is it an allegory for school shootings? It's based on a book that doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Like school shootings, it's about students dying for no reason. There's no correlation between the victims besides them all being students at the same high school. School shootings are a real bummer. Spontaneous isn't much of a horror movie. I knew that before deciding to watch and include it for this episode. It's more of a romantic dramedy. When Dylan dies, it is painfully depressing. Throughout the movie, there's a voice that's always in the back of your head whispering that any of these kids can explode at any second, and deep down you know that one of the main characters is going to pop like an overfilled water balloon. During my viewing, I was wondering if it was going to be Mara, Dylan, or Mara's best friend Tess. It's not a stretch to say most irreverent indie romantic comedies have a somewhat happy ending. <clears throat> what about Celeste and Jesse forever? That's that's not a romantic comedy, that's distilled depression. Oofa doofa. At least Spontaneous has a hopeful ending. Clone Chad Michael Murray exploded, but Mara still has the rest of her life ahead of her. Nitpicky gripe, coming in hot. After the first kid pop, Spontaneous explains at length that nothing was damaged by the exploding teenager. Was stuff covered in blood? You betcha. Was anything near the unfortunate soul damaged by them becoming a human blood grenade? Nope. The desk was still perfectly intact. The only issue with the clothes the kid was wearing is that they were covered in blood. Spontaneous hammers home that nothing is damaged by the explosion. When Dylan explodes, his jawbone smacks Mara on the forehead, leaving a nasty gash and a concussion in its wake. But spontaneous. You made it clear that when one of the kids exploded, they turned into a wave of non-harmful blood. Does this nitpick matter at all? Nope, I felt compelled to bring it up though. It's weird for a movie to make its own rule, only to break it a bit later. Anyway, clone Chad Michael Murray is back. I was originally made aware of his presence when I watched The Clove Hitch Killer, a great movie where Dylan McDermott may or may not be a serial killer. Clone Chad is actually Charlie Plummer. He portrays the geeky, awkward Dylan well. Catherine Langford stars as Mara. She's great. The character is a little overwritten. No one is shooting off quips at the consistent rate that Mara is. Haley Law plays best friend Tess and does a good job with the very little she's given. The inseparable duo of Mara and Tess are separate for most of the movie once Dylan comes into the picture. Such is life of a friend with a new significant other. You wanna come over and watch some dumb stuff? 
oh, you're hanging out with Tiffany again tonight. Well, what about burritos tomorrow? Oh, she has you booked for the near future? I'll just put my order for the best friend Wonder Twin Rings I ordered for us on hold, Steve. <laughs> and scene. None of my friends disappeared because of a girl or anything in high school. You don't have to worry about that when all of you are losers. When it comes to the gore and spontaneous, there are no complaints. It's definitely a nice mixture of CGI and practical effects. You might expect terrible looking digital explosions in a movie like this, but the bloody bursts all looked solid. I decided to be spontaneous and watch spontaneous and I have no regrets. Check this out if you're looking for a funny movie about two goobers falling in love that also has a heaping helping of sadness. Number 6, Spree 2020, directed by Eugene Kotelyarenko. A guy named Kurt has been posting content online for years as Kurt's World 96. He's never really hit the big time, so he decides an easy way to boost his views is murder. He starts working as a rideshare driver. He kills some passengers, an influencer he used to babysit, and his own parents before being taken out by an up-and-coming stand-up comedian named Jesse. Kurt's World 96 and Uno are the killers. Who's Uno? Just some DJ that shoots a comp on the head after coming to from a nap brought on by Kurt's death water that she wasn't supposed to drink. What do you get when you combine Steve from Stranger Things, ride sharing, and murder? Spree! Oh, I get it, it's called Spree because he goes on a killing spree. That's obvious. Why is the fake rideshare app called Spree, though? Hey, you wanna catch an Uber or a Lyft? Nah, I have a rampage on the way. Lots of surprising... Faces pop up in Spree. David Arquette plays Kurt's dad. I recently watched You Cannot Kill David Arquette, a documentary about Dave's journey towards becoming a legitimate wrestler. It's an interesting time. I almost turned it off 15 minutes through, but I'm glad I stuck with it. After seeing that documentary and seeing his performance in Spree, Dave's just playing himself. He's a strange dude. Speaking of actors you haven't seen in some time, Misha Barton also pops up in Spree. I haven't seen her in anything since the OC. Kurt kills her with a drill off screen after having some junkyard dogs take care of her friends, some girl I've never heard of, and Ariana Grande's brother, whose claim to fame is being related to Ariana Grande. Steve's actor name is Joe Keery. He's delightful as the fame-hungry psychopath. He brings the perfect level of pathetic and unhinged to the character. Big kudos to whoever wrote the constantly running chat in the movie. It feels almost completely genuine. Sashir Zamata plays Jesse Adams, the currently blowing up comedian. Blowing up as in becoming famous. This isn't related to spontaneous. Sashir is alright in Spree. Hers and Kiri's are by far the best performances. Almost everyone else in the movie is awful, but I'm going to attribute a lot of the bad performances to the writing. So much time was spent on making the chat authentic that there wasn't enough time to write believable characters. Here are some characters Kurt picks up. Openly alt-right man. Obnoxious real estate agent. Belligerent idiot dude. These are the first three people that die, so in the beginning, Kurt isn't portrayed as a straight-up villain. Murder is murder, but is it really when the victims are jerks? The answer is still yes, unfortunately. At first, it seemed like Kurt was targeting bad people, but Kurt didn't even know that dude number one was a terrible person before offering him a poisoned water bottle. Maybe he researched the guy beforehand? Kurt kills Misha Barton and her friends? I could... 
no longer rationalize him being a guy that had targeted bad people to kill. Poisoned water, you said? Yep. Kurt murders his first three victims with poison. The victims just cough a little and then keel over. It's boring. The kills never get very exciting. Kurt eventually upgrades to a drill for a kill that's off screen. He guns down Dad Arquette. The gnarliest kill by far is when Kurt traps Misha Barton's friends in his car's sunroof, leaving them open to attack from his junkyard dogs. I'm not putting the dogs on the killer list. Kurt used the dogs like he used the poison and gun. They were just tools for his killing spree. The most interesting aspect of Spree is that it's all video and live stream footage. It's a fun gimmick even though it's not exactly believable. Am I supposed to believe all these people have Steadicam rigs attached to their phones and other cameras because I don't? Spree is an entertaining enough time. Consider it if you are looking for something new to check out and kill an hour in 30 minutes. I probably won't remember it in a week, but we all need something new to check out these days. Number seven, a gift. Hey listeners, it's the giving time of year, so I decided to present you all with some fantastic Christmas horror movie picks. Does this seem low effort? It is. I originally created the seventh topic as kind of an easy breezy free space section. Now it has spawned into an insatiable demon that wants more and more spooky ideas every two weeks. I'm not killing the beast just yet though. I've seen a lot of holiday horror, some good, mostly absolutely awful. I don't want any of you to feel the embarrassment that comes with putting on a holiday horror movie for your loved ones to watch, only to realize it's garbage. Been there, done that. So here are some acceptable holiday horror movies. For the whole family, we have Gremlins. If you don't have to worry about any youngsters, put on the original Black Christmas, Silent Night, Deadly Night. One or two, but not both. P2, Christmas Evil, or Krampus. I've come around on the latter. I hated Krampus when I walked out of the theater, but appreciate it a lot more these days. There you have it. Some beautiful movies are now nestled safely under the tree. If you don't want to watch a horror movie, there's always Jingle All the Way, the truly best holiday movie ever created. That's a wrap on Blank is the Killer 86, Frosty Killers, Vengeful Samurai, and Exploding Teens. If you happen to like what your ears witness, consider leaving a review or rating on iTunes. Episode 87 will be out on December 27th. It'll probably include more holiday horror. If I missed any New Year's horror movies, I'll try to include them also. Until then, try not to worry too much about the possibility of spontaneously combusting. You didn't know it could really happen?